keep your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians 15 because we'll be working our way through that passage. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. According to the Guinness Book of Records, um, that song by John Lennon's the second greatest song ever to come out of the UK. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was number one, if you're wondering. But what if John Lennon was right? What if this world is all that there is and we've got it wrong? What if, as, as Ricky Gervais says, when you die, you die and that's it, so live? What if there's nothing after death? You don't go to heaven, you don't, go, you don't meet your kids, you don't see your loved ones, just, just nothing, just cease to exist. Because there's no hell below us, there's no sky above us. Imagine all those people living for today. I think that describes a massive section of our society, doesn't it? Living completely for today. Or imagine something else, another, maybe a step forward from that. Imagine there is something after death. Imagine that, that your soul, your conscience does live on. In some strange way, when, when you die, you, you become a spirit, you become a friendly ghost. You become something. It's a bit more comforting, isn't it, but without having to think of God and commitment and Christ. Most people probably fall into that category. Most people in the world believe there is something spiritual. There is something after death. It's one of the things I come across at, at, at a lot of funerals. People who die and, and who are unbelievers... But the idea of nothing, or even worse, the idea of hell, it's, it's unbearable for the family. And so they like to think that somewhere out there is grandma or granddad or mum or dad. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. It's what happens. And so we have the, the poem read at loads of funerals. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn's rain. When you wake in the morning's hush, I'm the swift uplifting rush of quiet birds in circle flights. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. Often at funerals I perform, that poem gets read by somebody. And it gives far more comfort to the family than me reading John 14 or me preaching the hope of the gospel. Why does it give them comfort? Because you don't have to really believe in God. But it's nice to think there's something, isn't it? Your spirit goes somewhere. You're a glint in snow. You're a, you're a wind that rises. You're there as a star. And lots of people think like that, don't they? Gary Lineker's an outspoken atheist. He mocks Christianity terrible, but last year, I can't remember who it was, but a, a famous footballer died. And Gary Lineker, the atheist, tweeted, rest in peace. I know you'll be up there somewhere playing football. Now, why did he say that? Because he doesn't want or believe in God, but the, the alternative's too terrible. 
And that's one of the, Paul, one of the problems Paul's facing. In fact, it's the biggest problem Paul's facing uh, in the Corinthian church. We, we read in verse 12, some people in the Corinthian church don't believe in the resurrection from the dead. Imagine that. Some, if, if, it was, if we said some people in this room don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, it's doubtful that many of them would have taken John Lennon's view. You know, there's nothing. Some of them might have done, but not, not many. It, it's highly likely that, that, that have taken the, the view that after death, your soul lives on in some way, but not your body. There was this kind of view that your soul was good and your body was bad. And as a result of allowing that kind of thinking to come in, they're living for today. That's the big issue Paul's dealing with, isn't it, in Corinth? A church that's living for today rather from eternity. We can be guilty of that, can't we? We get caught up in this world and we live for today. There are basically three views on what happens when you die. Every view in history is contained in these three views. First view is that there is no life after death whatsoever. You just, just cease to exist. The second view is that your spirit or your soul lives on. And the third view is that your spirit and your body live on. Not many people would have taken the first view in Paul's day. But the, the big Greek thinkers, the big philosophers of the day, they, they taught that your soul was immortal. But not your body. They taught that your soul, when you die, your soul continues, but your body remains dead forever. Now, we, we, the Bible teaches that as, as human beings, we have a body and a soul. And when the Bible talks about resurrection, it isn't talking about your soul being resurrected. When you die, your soul goes immediately to be with Christ if you're saved and not if you're not. When the Bible talks about resurrection, it's talking about resurrection of your body. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's what the Corinthians are in massive danger of denying. Just, just back then, like today, the idea of a body coming out of a grave and back to reality, it seems silly, doesn't it? Some of the people I've witnessed have said, nonsense, someone coming back, a body coming out of the grave, it's like something out of a film. It wasn't cool in Paul's day to think and acknowledge that you believe that a body could be brought back to life. And the problem is archbishops and pastors still talk about Christ being raised in your hearts because they're embarrassed to talk about him being raised in a body. But Paul spells out the horrendous consequences if we deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So just in case, let me explain what we mean by when we talk about resurrection. Resurrection is different from people being brought back to life. So Jesus brought people back to life. He, he, he raised Lazarus, he raised Jairus' daughter, he raised other people. But that wasn't resurrection because all those people died again eventually. Resurrection means that, that one day your body, the body that went into the grave and has been defiled and has been manked up or burned or whatever, that body will be raised, it will be put back together perfectly, never to die again. That's the resurrection. We're raised never to die again. We'll see what kind of body a little bit next week. But, but it's this, your, your body will be raised and it will be reanimated and your soul will re-enter your body and your body will now be indestructible and perfect and pure and eternal. And there's lots of Christians heard that that say, it's a bit far-fetched. Sounds like something from dawn of the dead. And so Paul's got his work cut out. 
The resurrection as Jesus just preached is central to the hope of the gospel. You've got no gospel without the resurrection, but these people are saying, well, I don't think there is a resurrection, Paul. A bit far-fetched, a body coming back to life. To live on the new earth when Jesus returns, we'll need a body. Central to anybody getting to heaven is that Jesus' body was raised from the grave, never to die again. So let's look at, I want to look at three things that Paul says about this, three arguments he pushes. The first is, what if Christ is not risen? We see that in verse 12 to 19. What if Jesus Christ is not risen? Yeah, yeah, his, his spirit's there, he's, he's in heaven spiritually, but, but, but his body didn't rise. What if Jesus, just like Muhammad and Buddha and every other religious leader, is still in a tomb somewhere? Does it make a difference? Well, well Paul tells them six horrendous consequences that, that flow from the teaching that Christ isn't risen. They merge into each other, it's brilliant logic. The first one is this, verse 14. If Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty. As we said the other week, preaching the gospel isn't about teaching people a set of rules to live by. It's good to have rules to live by, that's not what the gospel is. We could never live up to the rules. We preach a person who lived up to the rules. We preach a person who died for sins. We preach a person who, who rose from the dead never to die again. We preach a person who's coming back to take those who loved to be with him and judge those who didn't. And so if Jesus didn't rise, there's no gospel to preach. We, we, there's no good preaching values. We preach Jesus. But not if he's not risen. If he's not risen, we might as well go home. Second thing, verse 14, if Christ is not risen, our faith is empty. Who's the object of our faith? It's Jesus. But he's dead. What's the goal of our faith? It's to be with Jesus in glory because that's what we need. But Jesus is dead. Why is faith in Jesus so important? Because it's only through him we can be forgiven. But Jesus is dead. And so without a risen death defeat in Jesus, the, the faith that we have, it's pointless. It's like having faith in something that doesn't exist. Third one is verse 15. If Christ is not risen, then all the apostles are liars. All those apostles who, who wrote the epistles and, and who, who testify to seeing the risen Jesus Christ, the liars. We can't believe anything they say because they lied about the resurrection. And if that's the case, we can't trust anything the New Testament says. And if we can't believe anything the New Testament says, we might as well chuck in everything the Old Testament says. And if we, if we chuck in that, we might as well chuck in Calvin and Luther and Spurgeon and Lloyd-Jones and not in the same company but me because we're all liars. Because we're saying Jesus rose from the dead when he obviously didn't. Verse 17, if Christ is not risen, we are still in our sins. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus died to pay for our sins. We know, don't we? If I was to, I'm not going to ask, if I was to ask you, what's the one thing you, you're really ashamed of? The one thing you really struggle with? The one sin that, you, that dominates? You'd all have one. But we've got loads and loads and loads of sins. And the resurrection is the proof that, that it, they're paid for. He died to pay for our sins. He rose as the guarantee that, that he's paid. But if Jesus didn't raise, rise bodily from the grave, 
when you and me are still carrying our sins around with us. The prayer that we said earlier is meaningless. If Christ didn't die, then, then your, your temper and, uh, and your gossip and our pride and our shame and our, our sexual sin, it, it's still hanging around our necks. It's still weighing us down. It's still making us stink before God. If Christ isn't risen, then whatever you're struggling with at the moment, you've got no hope of beating it because sin is the dominant power in your life. You'll never know victory over anything in your life. Because if Christ's not risen, we're still in our sins. Fifthly, verse 18, if Christ is not risen, then all the Christians who we know who've died, we're never going to see again. We know the big thing about heaven is being with Jesus, don't we? But remember, Jesus won't be there because he's not risen. But also, if Jesus never rose, if Christ never came out of the tomb, then your mum and dad who were Christians and died, and your husband or wife or son or daughter, you're never going to see him again. You're never going to hug them. You're never going to see your friends who've died again because they've all perished. And when we die, we've lived 80, 90 years trusting in Jesus and we're going to perish. That word perish is a strange word. It doesn't mean to stop existing. One of the ways that perish is used in the New Testament is that it means something's lost all of its worth. So, so think about a car tire. You say, or I've got a, a, a tire on my caravan and it's perished. Well, we don't mean that it ceased to exist. The tire's still there, but it's lost all its rubberiness. It's good for nothing. Only, the only thing that's left is useless. Isn't that an awful picture of life after death? See, when we die... If we're not saved, it's not that we're ceasing to exist. It's existing in a state where all purpose, all goodness, all use have gone out and people are just an eternally decaying corpse. Isn't that depressing? If Christ's not risen. People who die without Jesus, John 3.16 tells us, they perish. They don't cease to exist. They just eternally decay. If Jesus didn't rise, we will literally rot in hell but never rot away. And if Christ isn't risen, then the loveliest, godliest Christian who's ever, ever lived and who's died will rot in hell forever. Finally, verse 19, if Christ is not risen, we're the biggest losers in the world. You know when people mock you for being a Christian... You know those Christians in China and North Korea and Sudan and Iran and Pakistan because they're in prison because they, they won't deny that Christ is risen. They are mugs. Maybe you've heard someone say, well, what have you got to lose? Be a Christian and if you get to the end of your life and, it, and it's not true, what have you lost? You've still lived a good life. No, you're a mug. Because if Christ isn't risen, then we're, we're, we're empty, we're, we're living a lie, we're, we're, we're gullible people. We've given our, our whole lives to serve in a false idea. We'll carry our sin to the grave and we'll eternally perish. And we're the biggest losers in the world if Christ didn't rise. Have a look at verse 20, will you? But now Christ is risen. 
from the dead. Wouldn't it be terrible if Christ did not rise from the dead? Wouldn't it be terrible for those who don't love Jesus, but now Christ is risen from the dead? We've had the negative, the, the horrendous consequences if Christ did not rise. But what about the fact that he is risen? Because Jesus is risen, we've, got, we've had six horrendous consequences. Now we've got six glorious realities. Verse 20 and 23, because Christ is risen from the dead, it guarantees that we'll rise from the dead. We're told Christ became the first fruits. When a farmer had a crop, uh, the, the first fruits that developed, the first fruit that ripened, the first fruit that were produced, it, it was gathered and it, it was offered as a thanksgiving to God, but it was also a guarantee that the harvest was going to come because the, the fruit had already started. The first fruit was the guarantee that the harvest will follow. Maybe another way, here you are and you're trapped in an airtight space and someone's digging like mad from the inside to get you out and then they break through and you can now see the light and, and the air floods in and you can breathe and you know you're going to get to safety. You might have to wait a little bit but you know now because someone's punched a hole through, you know that you can follow them. And Paul's saying because Jesus has risen, because Jesus has punched a hole in death, and come out the other side, never to die again. He's the first fruit, we'll follow. Verse 20. Because Christ is risen from the dead, death for a Christian is like falling asleep. Listen, we don't want to belittle suffering. Some people, some lovely Christian people, suffer terribly. I'm not looking forward to the process of dying. But I'm not worried about death. Death will be sweet. I don't know. I, I, love, I love going to bed. I go to bed late, but I love going to bed. What I love perhaps more than going to bed is waking up about 6 o'clock, realizing you've still got another couple of hours and falling back asleep. It's a lovely feeling, isn't it? Broke my leg some years ago, put me to sleep. Love being put to sleep. When we die as Christians... It'll be like putting your head on the pillow after a long, tiring day. You close your eyes, and immediately you'll open them, and you'll see Jesus. And he'll say to you, come in, good and faithful servant. And you might say, oh, I'm not a good and faithful servant. I've done nothing to deserve this. And he says, of course you haven't, but come in. I'm a hugger. Uh, when the girl's boyfriends come round, or when I see a friend that I haven't seen in a while, I say, come on, big man, bring it in. And we hug it out. I long for the day, please don't think I'm being irreverent, I long for the day when after the struggles and groans of life, I open my eyes and Jesus says, come on, bring it in. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, one day we're going to close our eyes as if we're going to sleep and we're going to wake up immediately in Jesus' presence and he's going to embrace us. It's not, this is not soul sleep. This is dying and immediately being with Jesus. I can't wait to fall asleep in Jesus. Verse 3, sorry, uh, number 3, verse 21 to 22. Because Christ is risen from the dead, he's taken us from Adam to Christ and death to life. This is a big phrase. It's called federal headship. Adam was the representative of mankind. And in that sense, we were all in Adam. He represented us all. He was our federal head. Because Adam sinned, because Adam fell, we all fell with him. You might think that's not fair, but we'd have done exactly the same as Adam. 
Adam brought sin and death into the world. And because, because Adam brought sin and death into the world as our federal head, we sin and we die. Adam were our hope. Adam were our pioneer. And he fell and we all died. But in Christ, we can be made alive. Christ is Adam point two. See, when Christ was tested in the garden by Satan, like Adam was, Christ didn't sin. Jesus died the death that Adam earned for us. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he became our federal head. We were transferred from Adam's headship into Christ's headship. Jesus is now our pioneer. And if we thought the first bit weren't fair, this bit will blow your mind. Jesus is your federal head. We're alive in Jesus. Our sins dealt with by Jesus' death. Our new life's guaranteed through Jesus' resurrection. We've, we've gone from one family to the other. Why? Because Christ is risen. Fourthly, verse 23, because Christ risen from the dead, he will return. This is the order. Christ the firstfruits. So, 2020-ish years ago, Jesus Christ became the first person ever to permanently defeat death. He rose with a, with a glorious, renewed body, never to die again. When we die, if Jesus hasn't returned when we die, then our spirit will leave our body and it will go to be with Jesus in heaven, in paradise. And then what's going to happen? One day Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus returns, every believer that's ever lived and died will have the body raised. And whether it's been cremated or buried or whatever, our body will be raised and it will be reassembled perfectly and gloriously. And what will happen is your soul will come down from heaven with Jesus and your body will be raised up and it will be reunited and we'll live forever in our new bodies on the new earth with Jesus. It's what we call the Christian hope. If you're still alive when Jesus returns, you'll be called up to Jesus and instantly you'll be transformed. We're waiting for Jesus' return, but we're waiting with absolute certainty. He is coming back. Why are we waiting? Why, why doesn't Jesus just come back now? Because he's putting all enemies under his feet at the minute verse 25 as the gospel goes out into the world God's kingdom's growing and one day Jesus is going to return and put all authority all power whether that be earthly or demonic is going to put it all under his feet see at the moment Christ is winning people he's bringing people under his authority by winning the hearts and so Jesus, as a Christian, Jesus is somebody who rules in your heart. Jesus rules all things, but as a Christian, he rules in your heart. But when Jesus returns, it'll be, for all those who, who he don't rule, it'll be forced rule. He's going to come and he's going to put all power, whether that be earthly power or demonic power, under his feet. And he's going to raise our bodies. And Jesus is going to crush evil. Why is he going to do that? Because he's risen from the dead. Fifthly, verse 24 to 25, because Christ is risen from the dead, he'll deliver the kingdom to his father. He'll hand over the kingdom to his father. Why did Jesus come? He came to, to win us back to God. One day, because of his resurrection, Jesus is going to present you and me. We're Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is going to present you and me. He's going to hand you and me 
over to the Father, and it says he's going to present us faultless. Can you imagine that? One day, Jesus is going to present you to his Father as a person that he's won, as a member of his kingdom, and he's going to say, this person is faultless. And then Jesus is going to submit to the Father, not because the Father's more important or more powerful, but because that's the order of the Godhead. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit. And we're told the work of the God in, in salvation will be all in all. It will be complete. Salvation will be complete. Why will salvation be complete when Jesus returns? Say it with me. Because Christ is risen from the dead. Finally, verse 26. Because Christ is risen from the dead, death will be defeated. It seems obvious, doesn't it? Because Christ is risen from the dead, death will be defeated. We know that death's been defeated. The problem is we still die. <laughs> Our loved ones still die. But one day, no one will ever die again. When Jesus returns, because he's risen, he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to kill death. Jesus is going to bury death. Jesus is going to throw death into hell. And nobody's ever going to die again. But only if Jesus really did rise. We live in a world, don't we? There's still evil in this world. Even if you're a Christian, there's still evil, there's still disease, there's still death. But they're defeated. We've seen the first fruits, and one day it'll be complete. There's a story about Winston Churchill. Uh, December 1941, uh, he heard the news that the Japanese had bombed the American Pacific Fleet in Pearl Harbor. And it was horrendous. Loads of people died. But it was the turning point in the war because Churchill knew that after that, America would enter the war. And he knew that when America entered the war, they'd win the war. It'd be a few years before it was realized, but he knew the war would win it. He wrote this a couple of years later. He said, so we'd won the war after all. We'd won the war. No doubt it'd take a long time. Many disasters, immeasurable cost, tribulation. But there was no more doubt about it in the end. And being saturated and satiated with emotion and sensation, I went to bed and slept. So after Pearl Harbor, he said, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved. Isn't that what we want to do? Because our sins are in the grave, because the grave's going to be destroyed and sin's going to be destroyed, and death's going to be destroyed, because it's a foregone conclusion, we can sleep the sleep of the saved. Because Jesus has entered the war, and he's won. And the war's turned. And Christ has risen from the dead. So what about now? We're living in the gap, aren't we? We're living in a gap between Jesus's first coming and his second coming, between Jesus' resurrection and his return. It's frustrating waiting, isn't it, in the gap? Knowing that sin's defeated but still struggling with it every day. Knowing that death's defeated and still burying people you love. So what, what about now? How do we carry on? Well, Paul gives the Corinthians, into, he, gives, he gives two more arguments for the resurrection and then one conclusion. And I'll, I'll try and be brief as we go through these. Firstly, he says this. The Corinthians, he says, you're going against your own logic by denying the resurrection. Verse 29, it's one of the hardest to interpret in the New Testament. I'm going to do it in about a minute. Paul says, if the dead don't rise, why are you getting baptized for them? We think, well, what does it mean to get baptized for the dead? 
Should they have got baptized for the dead? Should we get baptized for the dead now? No. There's over 40 different explanations of what it meant for someone to be baptized from the dead. In the, in the commentaries that I read, they're all good ones and they all had different views. We know this, don't we? We know clearly from the rest of the Bible, once you're dead, your eternal fate's settled. Can't be changed once you die. So getting baptized for the dead is absolutely pointless. Just like praying for someone. You know, I drop dead tomorrow. I'm not a Christian. I'll drop dead tomorrow. On Tuesday, you pray that I'll, I'll get saved. It will, it's too late. Pointless. I think what Paul's doing here, Paul's berating them for getting baptized for the dead. But he's showing that the logic's mad. These Christians, I think, I think it's what happened. I think these Christians were getting baptized to try and save their dead, unsaved loved ones. Or their dead, unbaptized loved ones. And Paul's saying, hang on, you don't believe in the resurrection, but you're getting baptized for the dead what's the point you define your own logic it's like someone saying i'm an atheist and then making a sign of a cross when they walk onto a football pitch and you'd say to them why are you making a sign of a cross if there's no god you're going against your own argument the corinthians were denying the resurrection and then getting baptized so the dead loved ones could be resurrected you think that's mad people are full of contradictions aren't they back to the gary lineker statement gary if there's no god why are you saying we'll play football in heaven you're destroying your own argument, mate. Secondly, verse 30, Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise, why am I putting my life in danger every single day if it's not true? Paul's thinking, saying, look, if I said Jesus was resurrected and he wasn't, why am I letting him treat me like they did at Ephesus? Paul was in constant danger. Paul got beaten up and left for dead because he preached that Jesus had risen. Paul says, Paul's saying, if I'm lying, why would I lie? I'd have a miles easier life if I, if I denied it. Why are people around the world now willing to die rather than deny the resurrection of Jesus? Because it's real. And what does that mean? Well, Paul says it means we die daily. What does that mean, we die daily? It means this, every day we're willing to follow Jesus, whatever that looks like on that day. There were a young lady who was going to be a missionary in Eritrea. I was reading a book, um, and the, the bloke who wrote the book, he was a pastor, and he, he knew how dangerous it was. There were, there were, it was particularly dangerous for, for robberies where they'd kill you. And he said to this young lady, he said, are you not afraid of dying? And she said, I, I died 10 years ago. And a few months later, she was robbed and killed on the mission field in Eritrea. But she knew the risk. She was prepared to die. Why was she prepared to die? She was willing that if whatever day it was, she was prepared to die for Jesus because she believed in the resurrection. Don't mean she wanted to die. Don't mean she, she trekked death flippantly. But she believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And she believed that because Jesus had risen from the dead, when she died, she'd be raised from the dead. And when we grasp that as Christians, it, it, it changes how we view life. We don't want to embrace death, but we don't, we don't cling to life. We're prepared every day to say, whatever it looks like today, Jesus, I'll serve you. And finally, what's the conclusion? It's really simple. After Paul said all this, verse 32. If Christ isn't risen, go and live your life to the absolute full, because you're going to die, and you can't take anyone or anything with you. Listen, if you 
come here this morning and you've got no intention of submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you've got no intention of, of following him and, and trusting him, you, you just come here. You could be having so much fun, so much more fun outside, you must be miserable. Go, Paul's saying, eat, drink, be merry, do what, do what makes you happy, rack up debt because it doesn't matter, you're not, you're not going to pass it on because tomorrow or the next day or the next day you die. So if Jesus isn't risen, if, if, if that's not true in your heart, if, that, if that's not the, the reality you live for, cling on to this life. Worship your car. Worship your job. Worship your wife. Worship your body. And then die and see what comes next. Or, and this is what we do pray for you, Paul says, wake up to righteousness. Paul says, stop hanging around with people who are dragging you down. Stop embracing sin. Literally, he says, sober up and start boasting in Christ. If Christ is risen, it, it, we can't be indifferent. If he isn't, live your life. If he is, you can't be indifferent. You've got to worship him. You've got to serve him. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all those people living for today. Paul's response is, but Christ is risen from the dead. Choose life. If you love Jesus, I, I need to hear this. Put your head on the pillar like Churchill, knowing that in this world there'll be trouble. But because of the resurrection, Christ has overcome the world. Amen. Let's celebrate that by singing, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory Thou over death has won.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.